1: A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix.
0: If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound.
1: Hey everyone, John Wertheim here. It is this week's Sports Illustrated slash Tennis Channel Tennis Podcast. Happy Australian Open, everyone. We are going to do a mid-tournament podcast with Martin Blackman. Martin, heads up player development for the USTA. It's been an interesting week for Martin, watching Daniel Collins, watching Francis Tiafoe, Do so well here in Australia, also some disappointments as well, but Martin and I sit down and talk about a number of topics, the state of U.S. tennis, the new installation of Marty Fish as Davis Cup captain, and Martin also helps qualify and clarify some of the issues we discussed on a podcast a few weeks ago about the transition tour, which is now called the ITF Pro Tour, where the USDA fits into that. This was a topic that resonated with a lot of you, still a lot of unanswered questions. So, I had asked Martin to sit down and try and clarify, and so we, we talk a bit about that. So, uh, this is mid-tournament. I hope none of this is uh, particularly obsolete and outdated, but here's Martin Blackman. All right, thanks for uh, thanks for taking a break. This is always weird because we're between matches and. Results are flitting by. We should timestamp this. It's Monday afternoon, and uh, we both saw Maddie Keys bow out to Savinolina in uh, three sets. But o- overall, as we talk right now on Monday, I gotta think you're a happy man. Nice tournament for uh, for U.S. Tennis overall.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me, John. I'm really, really pleased with the results this week. Um, just so many bright lights and breakthroughs. Like you said, Madison lost a tough one today. She played a great second set. There was a pivotal game in the third at one all that if that had gone her way i think she wins that match but she's got a great team she's healthy and uh, i think she's going to have a great year and just across the board i mean starting with the women uh watching amanda and nasimova break through play an unbelievable match against abelanka uh watching danielle collins just really dismantle angie kerber um uh, sophia kennens playing good ball serena is back in form. Really pumped about watching her play Halep tonight. Um, And just across the board, you know, our our women are... Let's talk about the men, too. Yeah, women are looking uh, good. And then, you know, started out the week, um, tough to have two Americans play each other with Riley Opelka and John Isner. um, But that was a great win for Riley. Um, Dennis Kula lost a tough one against Schwarzman. He's playing well. Watching Taylor, you know, Really play a solid match against Roger. Um, he's playing really well. Got a great team. Uh, Francis breaking through yesterday um, against. Um, um, what's
1: what's this like for you? So Francis beats Dimitrov it, to go to the first Grand Slam quarter. You're on a high. You just mentioned Madison Keys. She's got a game one all in the third set. Sure, 27 points. Maddie loses that game and. Turned the match. Didn't win another game the rest of the day. What's it like for you? At some level, you're getting judged by these results. What's it like for you sitting there courtside and seeing these these triumphs and these close calls and these matches turn on a ball that misses by six inches? What, what's this experience like for you?
0: Well, you know, it's a roller coaster. I mean, we come to the Slams, me and my entire team, our coaches, our performance staff, to support the players, to give them any possible competitive advantage that we can. Um, Analytics, strength and conditioning—you name it. Uh, so it's a roller coaster because we're we're really invested, um, whether we're working with them directly or supplementally. But you know, when I come here, I just kind of sit back and um, and just enjoy watching them battle and make sure that if there's anything we can do uh, to help them, that we're doing it. So what, what does that mean? You said that before. What, what does that mean? Is that analytics? Is
1: that coaching? Is that
0: it's it's recovery? all the, yeah. It's all the above, John. So. We have a performance team model of support for all of our top players where we meet with them and we say, hey, do you have any deficits in your team where we can fill in and help you? Sometimes it's strength and conditioning, sometimes it's coaching, sometimes it's analytics, um, sometimes it's mental skill support, but whatever, whatever we can do to give those players a competitive advantage, that's what my team is here to do during the slams.
1: And who's eligible for that?
0: Um, every American player. It's Team USA. You know, big believer in making sure that every single American player um, at these tournaments knows that they're part of Team USA and is they're going to get everything we have. Is there a rankings cutoff? Is there a... Well, we begin our support at the Slams and the qualifying. Okay. So my team gets here a couple of days before the qualifying, and then we go all the way through, of course. Um, we also give support at the Masters 1000s. Um, and some of the 500s and 250s in the states as well. So we are well past the point, and, and I do feel like,
1: you know, in the media we get this question, we get this talking point left about it used to be Sampras, Agassiz, Courier, and Chang, and now there are no Americans in the top ten. I do think people are recognizing this is a global sport and the precedent from 20 years ago is no longer really relevant. Uh, but that said, like, what's, what defines success? What What are you looking for?
0: What determines if you're happy with the state of U.S. tennis well look I think our team tries to focus on the process so we have we have a comprehensive system um, working with juniors from the section level 11 to 13 years old all the way up to the juniors that are playing here um, in the junior event and college and pro and the question that we ask ourselves are are our players getting better and is there anything else that we can do to help them develop uh, Francis, great example again. The match against Seppi, um, and then breaking through against Dimitriev. Unbelievable battle against Grigor yesterday. Um, we provide him with analytics. Uh, he trains at our centers. Sometimes he trains at College Park. Sometimes, but it's just really, are we doing everything possible to make sure our players are getting better?
1: What is the relationship, as you see it, between? The USTA and your infrastructure and players that have private coaches. How, how do you see that's always sort of a bit of a, a push pull. How do you see that playing out right now?
0: Yeah, that's a really important part of what we do, John. Um, about three years ago, we created a department called Team USA Pro, specifically to provide supplemental support to players that we don't directly work work with. That that department was headed up by Tom Gulickson and Kathy Rinaldi. And that really has become how we relate to private coaches. So we have a contact person for the private coaches of all of our top pros, um, and they know that we're there to support them. But we make sure that the information that we give regarding the player's development always goes through their private coach. We really respect that relationship.
1: So a player says, listen, I'd love your support. I'll happily take your funding, but I've got my guy, and I really want to stick with that guy. There's a way to work around that relationship.
0: Absolutely. There's no, there's no problem with that. We're not in this to take the credit just for the players that we work with directly. We want to help every single American player that has the potential. Before we came down here, uh, a few days before big announcement,
1: Marty Fish was taking over sure. uh, Davis Cup duties. A little bit different given that the Davis Cup is going to be so different. What do you expect from him and what made you think Marty was the right guy for the job?
0: Well, we went through, you know, a process of reaching out to top coaches and players who had represented us in Davis Cup and really narrowing it down. Uh, We had some great candidates that were interested in the position, but Marty really stood out with his passion, um, with the quality of his relationships with the players and with his commitment to really going to tournaments throughout the year and having that year-round presence and like you said before connecting with the private coaches of the guys that are going to be playing on the team
1: what do you expect from marty in terms of the non-davis cup duties i mean it sounds like this is davis cup's really only half the job uh this is not show up in madrid for uh for sure, 10 days sure. and see it's if a he can get some wins it's
0: a lot more than that what do you expect yeah from- well, look, I think um, Marty will go to four to five tournaments throughout the year to support the guys, uh, to check in with their private coaches, to add value. I mean, he's got, he's, a great, he's got a great strategic eye. He sees the game, and he knows a lot of the top guys because he played against them a few years ago. So he'll add tremendous value at those tournaments. He'll probably participate in a couple training weeks as well, um, and he'll be in touch with the guys I know almost every day. Um, so what, one other thing, John, about the job is it's even bigger than Davis Cup It's being a leader um, and a face for American tennis on the men's side, much like Kathy Rinaldi is on the women's side. And he'll also be a, an ambassador for our new youth brand, Net Generation, which will be huge.
1: Learn more at
0: marines.com.
1: Danielle Collins, who's had this great run here, was talking about some of the financing for her career and that she has what sounds like a benefactor, almost a a private investor, but someone who's helped her take care of some training costs and some travel costs. How do you go about determining who gets what funds? I mean, you've got a certain number, a finite pool of money to, to divvy up, and is it about making a top 15 guy a top 10 guy, or is it about... Making a top 150 player like Daniel was this year a top 25 player, which will be after this week. How do you go about making these funding decisions?
0: Great question. So for the younger players all the way up to college, we have an excellence grant system, um, which is based on markers, objective markers. When players hit those markers, they get those excellence grants. Um,
1: these are ranking markers? Those are
0: ranking markers and performance markers, results in tournaments. Um, then when we get into the, you know, 100 to 200 range, those are decisions that are made by our head of men's tennis, head of women's tennis. And most of the support that we give for those higher ranked players is in services.
1: What do you make of this tournament when you come here and walk around? I mean, you're, you're in player development, you're not a facilities guy, and luckily you know, it doesn't fall to you to sell sponsorships and deal with the roof. Cool. Courts uh, with roofs. Sure, when, sure. you, when you walk around here, what's what's this like for you? What are you processing?
0: Well, look, all the slams are so special and unique. Obviously, I'm I'm biased because I think the U.S. Open is is the crown jewel. But um, it's pretty impressive what Tennis Australia has done on this site with the activations and what they're doing on the perimeter. Uh, just when you're walking in, um, they've really made it into kind of a watering hole. Um, and um, we're up here on the fourth floor, which is new. So um, every year they seem to be adding something. But um, like I said, I think our transformation at the Open um, takes the cake. I think it's 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 amazing.
1: You guys are competitive with each other.
0: I, we have to be.
1: <laughs> I won't ask you to. Uh, I won't ask you to to rank the four majors. Um, let's talk specifically about Francis because he does not come from your traditional tennis background and I think his backstory is part of what makes him so appealing he alluded it to I don't know if you could hear his on encore interview from where you were I yesterday hear it, but no. Uh, no I mean it's it's clearly a dimension of this story that, that he appreciates certainly from a media perspective it, it's very easy and, and heartfelt in a storytelling sense and this is not a guy who comes from a what we think of as a content, conventional tennis background what can the USTA do especially vis-a-vis Francis to use him as an example be the well, example as he says
0: well I think w- w- what's great about Francis's story is there are just there's so many kind of connections and coincidences and opportunities that kind of conflated to to give him the opportunity that he had to pursue his potential um his dad was a project manager um when the facility at College Park was being built the at the Maryland tennis at the facility, the Maryland tennis right. facility. Um, then he stayed on as full-time. Uh, Francis and his brother lived there. Um, Francis came into what was called her Junior Champions Program. Um, that program became a regional training center uh, for, the, for the USTA. For the USTA. Um, it's an NJTL. So, you know, what we, you look at Francis, and we really want to see if we can create a template which creates opportunities for the hundreds of players like Francis to do what he's done. And to play on a stage like this.
1: How, how do you, I mean, I feel like uh, it's, it's, it's a bit of a delicate dance, but no, that's a word I've heard before. Basically, someone said to me, perhaps not delicately, but we got to find 12 more of these kids. Sure. How, how do we find someone who wouldn't necessarily obviously make that pivot to tennis? How do we find 12 more Francis's and kids who uh, are coming from, I, I think we can safely say, non traditional backgrounds? How does the USTA find those kids and then harvest that talent?
0: Sure. I think a big part of how we do that is we leverage our existing infrastructure of what we call NJTLs, National Junior Tennis and Learning Programs, which are designed to combine tennis and education for kids in inner city, inner city areas or just underserved kids throughout the country. So that's a network of 220, that's 225,000 kids um, being served by that network. We actually have a partnership with 13 of those programs called the Excellence Team Initiative where we've pulled those kids into the pathway, provide training for them and tournament play opportunities. So I'm really, I'm really optimistic that when that program comes to fruition, we'll have some kids like Francis um, who can do what he's doing. And I guess we, we can't talk about non-traditional
1: tennis backgrounds without talking about our uh, presumptive favorite as we speak. Serena Williams was Absolutely. back uh, two years after winning this event at age 37 playing as as we talk, playing as well as ever. How do you see the USTA's relationship with Serena? I mean, this is not someone who necessarily came up conventionally through the USTA. She plays Fed Cup, she has her own team, she's based in Europe. We can talk or not talk about what happened at the US Open. I mean, this is a fairly complex relationship. Where do you see the USTA vis-a-vis Serena?
0: Well, look, Serena and Venus um, have led American tennis uh, for over 20 years. And the fact that we have so many good young women and girls coming up um, is due in large part to their leadership and that demonstration effect. Um, We are there, again, that performance team support to support in any way that we can. But she's got such a comprehensive um, and outstanding team um, that, you know, there's not really that much that she needs. But, again, the relationship with Serena and her team is good. Kathy Rinaldi in particular. Um, has a great relationship with Serena and her agent and her coach, and um, we're here to provide anything that she might need, but her team is amazing.
1: Let's talk. I have, I have a confession I want to uh, make to you, which is uh, a few weeks ago I, I did a podcast, and I, I had a guest on, and I talked a bit about what uh, we say colloquially is a transition tour, but it's now uh, you know, the ITF, ITF World Tour. tour. Yeah. Um, I candidly, didn't quite realize uh, the the rabbit hole I had jumped down. Uh, This was a podcast that drew a lot of uh, attention and criticism and conversation. Um, I was caught a little bit by surprise with that, but I did want to sort of get the USTA on board and see if you were interested in clarifying anything or if you were interested in adding to that discussion. I don't know if you heard it, but it did. I did did hear it. You did hear it. I did hear it. So what, uh, what should people know? I mean, it seems like this is a lot of criticism and chatter, especially in junior tennis circles, college tennis circles, and I do want to make sure you guys are fairly represented here. What what do you want people to know?
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. So, I mean, I think what people really need to know is that this process started um, in early 2016 um, when allegations of match fixing and illegal gambling um, were exposed. And at that time, the governing body gave authority to an independent review panel to study, research, and make recommendations that would be binding. Um, so there's been a lot of talk about why did the U.S.T. let this happen, why didn't they block it, why, did they, why didn't they delay it. Um, it's important for people to know that that was never an option. So, so let, me, let me just, we should just probably set the stage.
1: We have uh, these troubling gambling and match-fixing allegations, but these are happening at really low-level events. I mean, these are not guys the casual fan has heard of. These are guys oftentimes with rankings in quadruple digits, uh, very few Americans. These are really obscure players. But it does seem like to address that, what the ITF did was say, listen, we need to redefine what constitutes a professional player. So the conventional sort of, you know, challenger circuit, satellite going going way down to very minimal money tournaments, those have been essentially locked off and the rankings are much sparer than they used to be so I think I think we need to sort of make that's right level listen. set
0: for your audience yeah so, so. The, the rankings will will cut off at a much lower if you will lower b- being a lower number and then the ITF world tour rankings um, will live underneath that um, the biggest structural change that came out of the I- IRP um, and that the ITF ATP and WTA um, responded to was the smaller draw sizes So 32 main draw, 24 qualifying, and the reason for that was to eliminate the overlap between events. Um, A big part of the vulnerability um, for players was if they went deep in the doubles of an event, it overlapped with the qualifying of the the next event. So there was a lot of incentive to not give best effort in order to get to that next tournament, and you can imagine how much vulnerability that would create. So, the ITF comes, they have a proposal, and
1: I think one of the concerns in the US is this really is going to reduce playing opportunities for American kids that in the past under the old system could, could bounce around from these events and hopefully move up in money. And the fact that there's so fewer opportunities to play has really caused some concern. And people have said, listen, I thought USDA was about promoting the growth of tennis, and here we have this new tour. That cuts off so many opportunities how did the USTA you know sign on to this rubber stamp this allow this to happen um, what's what's your response to those people?
0: So I guess the first thing is we didn't sign off but we didn't rubber stamp it so this was a structural change again dictated um, by the IRP, ITF, ATP, WTA so our first response was really one of discovery and making sure that we understood every detail of the new structure and obviously we were very concerned, concerned about the effect on our American pathways, um, in particular our national junior pathway and our collegiate pathway. So we created an integrated project team um, after the discovery process and education process and we went to work and we really blew up the calendar and we looked at every single week and made sure that we created an optimal calendar. The other thing that we did, John, was we created a comprehensive wildcard linkage so that players in our national junior and collegiate pathway could get opportunities um, by having good results in those pathways. So I just want to highlight a few of the innovations that um, that we came up with uh, to mitigate some of these issues. Um, We created a new category of event called National Close for just American players. Again, wildcards will be linked to that We've piloted pre-qualifying events just for American players. Wild cards will be linked to that. We created automatic wild card linkages for American players so that if you win at one level, you automatically get a wild card into the next level. And then we did the same thing with the junior calendar. Um, so 30, about 33% of all of the available wild cards are allocated by these automatic linkages primarily to college players and American juniors.
1: All these wild cards
0: to then play
1: on this ITU Exactly,
0: to play on the tour.
1: Um, I mean, the other concern that was raised again and again was the impact this might have on college tennis, which already is heavily international, and people are conveying to me, listen, if my kid is a nice junior player, but all the spots in college tennis are being taken by overseas recruiting and kids that tend to be older, more physically mature... There was a. If you saw the story, that Baylor now has a has a 23 year old kid, and people are saying, "Listen, my 17 year old from Boca's." Not not only are these opportunities being winnowed at the pro level, but these college spots are being taken too. What's what's your response to that concern?
0: Uh, we're definitely concerned about it. Um, you know, Jeff referenced Jeff Grant referenced the percentages um, of international players playing at the D1 level. Our response um, will continue to be that we're gonna create as many opportunities for American college players as possible um, to make sure that, you know, to really send a message that international players who come and play at universities, and we're not not necessarily against that, but only our American players are gonna get those opportunities. Going back to the calendar development, we optimize the calendar so that there are no conflicts with the major collegiate events so that college players don't have an either-or proposition when they're playing those events, but they will get the linkages and the opportunities. So, I mean, from what you're
1: describing, I mean, how much resistance could the USTA have put up? I mean, was this this a done deal and you're trying to make the best of an unfortunate situation? I mean, how how do you characterize this proposal comes in, we've got this match-fixing issue, it's terrible publicity, we need to address this, here's what we propose... Was this presented to you? We're getting uh, authentic, getting authentic tournament background noise here. That's how uh, you know we're here. Katerina Siniakova, Elise Arena Sabalenka. Just, just a sidebar. Don't we love that Sabalenka lost here to
0: Amanda Amanda uh,
1: And she's still here to play doubles today, 72 hours later. Oh, that was her court call we we just heard, but. Um, no, I'm I trying to figure out yeah, to, what, a, to what extent it, it, were you guys backed into a corner and just, listen, here's what the plan is. We're, make the most of it or, or make the best of it? Or was this
0: something that the, the people who think that this wasn't
1: no, defended, it, have, did they have a It, it no? was a
0: done deal. I done mean, deal. The, these changes were going to happen to protect the integrity of the, support, uh, of the sport. And um, like I said, the process that we went through, um, how integrated it was, how deliberate it was, the fact that we came out of it with a new department called a competitive pathway department that's headed up by Megan Rose so that we can address everything in the most integrated way possible um, I think is the best response that any federation has had to a very tough issue going back to college
1: I think people don't always realize that there are I mean, legally there are some impediments you, you can't simply tell people who they can and can't recruit, Um, even something like a cap, like you have in European basketball, I don't think you can say to colleges and universities, listen, you can only take two non-Americans, but I do think there's a certain social pressure, and there's a certain sort of soft power that can be exerted. As the USTA tried to talk to some of these coaches, when you look down the roster of programs, and eight of the nine players are from overseas, and eight of the nine players are uncharacteristically mature for uh, college athletes, are there... Is there a way for the USDA to intervene there and say, listen, I can't, I can't force you to do something, but just basically this isn't cool?
0: Well, I mean, our position is that we strongly um, advocate for the recruitment of American juniors. Um, that's something that all college coaches know. Um, our incoming president, Pat Galbraith, um, wants us to develop a really comprehensive strategy to look at every possible way of facilitating more recruitment of American juniors. So that's something that we're going to be really focusing on um, this year. Um, but as you said, there's some constitutional law issues, um, you know, related to quotas. Um, and that's probably not a reality, being able to do that.
1: Let me ask you, uh, close on the personal. You're, people can, I'm sure, hear. You're a mellow guy, measured guy, <laughs> well-regarded well here. Uh, just, this everything uh was cracked up to me? Is this, is this more, than a, more than you bargained for, or is this all
0: part, part of the job? <laughs> well, I mean, I get, first, it's a privilege. It's, it's really a privilege to be in this role um, and to be a leader in Team USA. Um, it's humbling because our team is amazing. We um, have the best team of people who are so committed and passionate about what they're doing. Uh, 65 people on our player development team. Um, But then just I think the most gratifying part of the job is how much you learn, learning every day, trying to have a growth mindset, talking to coaches, talking about players and just tapping into what it takes to be great and uh, challenging ourselves every day to model what we're trying to um, develop in our players. We've got as we speak.
1: We, uh, we, we had five American women in the last 16. That was a, a record of a major. Six, going I believe. back more. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. We had a 17-year-old. Yeah. You know what? It's funny. I'll, we'll keep rolling on this. But uh, it's funny. We were talking about five women. And they said, well, I can't count a 17-year-old as a woman. She's <laughs> still a girl. So we were, we were laughing about uh, Amanda Nisimov as a six. And whether that's We right. wanted to say a 17-year-old is a. Uh, we were counting her as a woman. So six out of 16. And then, obviously, Frances is a breakout. Story still on the men's side, uh, which certainly augurs well for the future. Uh, Thanks. Glad we could do this. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me. Good luck the rest of the way. Thanks. All right, that does it for this week. We're going to do another one of these very soon as we round out the Australian Open. Thanks to Martin for the visit. Hope that clarified some of the issues that have been out there and uh, chattered about by a lot of you guys. We will wrap up the tournament on next week's podcast. Have a good week, everyone. Enjoy the final weekend of the first major.